it was great getting all the team involved and it's sort of having that ethos and of zero waste and trying to be better and then it really sort of stuck with me and it's like it really got me thinking that this is what I want to do I want to be sort of better for the environment better for myself and I think it challenges me as a chef to think about not wasting and using everything to the best of its ability. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Zero waste in a food service setting when reliant on the flux of trade can pose many challenges. And although it's an ethos many commercial kitchens try to tackle, what's the reality on running a profitable restaurant and target zero waste to? Josh Donachy is the head chef of Rebar in Sydney. Josh, how are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Thanks. Um, thanks for having me, Huck. It's, uh, I feel like it's been a long time coming to come on the pod and I'm really excited to tell my story and um, delve into the uh, zero waste ethos that I've been looking at using over the past sort of six to eight years that, and um, working at Re. Well, we're excited to have you on as well and really explore how you're doing that because it's something that's of interest for many in the industry, but it poses its challenge in a, in a professional setting. Um, tell us a little bit about the restaurant and what you're doing there. So I work at Re in South Everly. You've been there since June last year. Um, it's headed up by Matt Wiley, who is a real massive influence in the bartending world and I met him in London like five years ago when he was consulting on the restaurant that I was working in and um, we kept in touch we were both moving to Australia and he was like oh, do you want to come on board and work at Re and I was like I bit his hand off to go because like the ethos that what Matt does there and what um, I believe in um, some sort of um, works together and so yeah we work with a lot of waste products byproducts stuff that's wonky the whole bar's made from recyclable uh, products so sort of everything that you touch within the bar is made from recycled product for instance the bar top and all the tabletops are made from milk bottles that would have gone into landfill 82,000 which is yeah, it's quite crazy, but you look at it and people get amazed when they see it. Um, uh, leather banquette seating's made from pineapple leaf, um, so the strands from that, and it, it it feels like leather. We've got a piece of artwork that's made from charcoal from the bushfires 20, in 2019, so everything sort of goes into, from the food to the drinks to the actual venue, it's all made from recycled and upscale products, byproducts um, that sometimes are seen like not usable by others but we relish the challenge and take that on is is there a sort of cost involved in going down that path to sort of fit out a restaurant in that manner yeah of course there's um a lot of costs there's a lot of differences but when it's something that you truly believe in i think it's a massive impact it's like you could say that you're sustainable and it just be a few items but we really go that extra mile so even though sometimes we'll get products from, say, an, a different bar or a different restaurant, it's not a case of we're getting stuff for free. We still pay for stuff, but at the same time, it takes extra power, um, manpower and stuff to create something completely different. So what we would spend on doing uh, what, what a normal person would get, say, the perfect piece of produce, 
we take extra time to create something completely different, <laughs> be it put in the centrifuge, be it wrote that, be it, you know, there's extra processes involved and it's really exciting challenge working with like-minded people then really putting our story across to the customers and guests that come through our door. Tell us a little bit about the program that you have in regards to food. I mean, is it is it really challenging to sort of target zero waste in a food service setting? Um, yeah, it, it's challenging, but I think if you're the, within the right mind and you're in the mindset that you're within that, doing that every day, it becomes a lot easier and you work closely with suppliers, making sure that we're all in, on the, in the same page. Um, for instance, I'll have um, my butcher call up and go, oh, there's a customer that had only wanted this piece of protein or this piece of stuff. So there's a byproduct from that. Do you want it? For instance, um, they had excess pig head once, and I was like, yeah, I'll take it straight away. One, because I, th- I believe that pig head's probably the most delicious part of the pig. And um, it does take a bit of extra time and care. And if anyone that's been into read, they'll know I've got probably the smallest kitchen within Sydney. Um, but really, <laughs> really create some great stuff from there as well. And, you know, byproducts and secondary products it doesn't necessarily mean that they're they're no good to eat if you've got something that's overripe slightly for me it's going to have a lot more flavor and in, if something's perfectly shaped does it mean it's going to taste better or any different from something that's slightly wonky not at all it's if anything there's more flavor in the stuff that's more naturally grown there's many touch points where uh, that can affect waste within um, a restaurant setting not not just what you buy or what you cook it's also with consumers with what they leave on the plate how how do you how do you manage the whole system to try and target zero waste in that sense so um we're sort of like a small place venue and predominantly a cocktail bar so for instance the bartenders use everything of every part the same with me within the food but uh, because we're small plates and based on sharing a lot of time there isn't uh, a lot of waste particularly from the customers but if there is we do we've got so we've got different bins we've got one bin that's cardboard and paper for when we stuff. Um, so when we're talking to suppliers, we're like, can we have as less packaging as possible? We've got one for our sort of recyclables like glass, um, aluminium. Um, then we've got a general waste bin, which we try not to use at all um, as, as much as we can. And then we've got, we've got also a food waste bin, which is just predominantly food waste. And then that gets put into um, an allocated bin exterior so we've got a food waste bin and we make sure that everything's recyclable and sort good for the environment without pressurizing people we you know we all believe in it but then once people come in and as guests they understand the processes that we go through and they really go for it and believe in it as well what is that transfer like like what what are consumers coming to you because of what you do like how, how interested and engaged are they um so as soon as they walk through the door they're greeted kind of by all the team we all say hello and it's all about judging the the get not judging the guests i think that's wrong it's just like taking on how the guests react to when they come in we also um we have briefings every day so we know if it's repeat custom or if it's a new customer and we treat everyone the same and um, we get we start with them we go through our hey have you been to re before um if the answer is no we go oh we'll give you the full rundown this is what we do this is what how we process stuff for instance, you're sat on pineapple leaf or your your um, table's made from milk bottles and then it's all about engaging and it's a real great hospitality venue because 
I feel as soon as you've got the customer engaged and you start telling the story, they really get behind what we do as well. And sometimes we'll have something that's deemed unusual on the menu. For instance, there was a drink that had a chicken feet caramel. If I was to tell you salted caramel, you'd be you'd think that's normal, but because we've extracted the fat from chicken feet, which is often seen as a waste product, but is a great flavour, you know, it's getting that across and people really go for it as well. And when you get people really interacted and really enjoying it, it makes our life a lot easier explaining what else we do and stuff. It's really, really challenging, but really exciting as well for the customer and the guest that comes through the door. Well, I want to explore your creative side and what you're doing there and the impact that it has on dish creation a little later on. But take us back to when you were young. Whereabouts did you grow up and what sort of role did food play? Um, So, as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm from the UK. Um, I was born just outside of Birmingham. Um, So, I'm half Scottish, half English. Um, So, my dad's from Glasgow, my mum's from Liverpool. And so, then growing up in the Midlands, it was... um, it's really fun. Um, my earliest sort of earliest sort of childhood memories was watching my grandfather cook, um, and that's what started me getting into cooking. I don't know if it's him to blame for where I am now, but it was um, he was always coming home from work fresh, cooking with fresh produce. Whereas my other cousins would sort of be playing football, playing board games, or whatever. I'd be watching him cook and be fascinated from the age probably like six, just watching him going. Why are you doing that? Why why are you using this? Why are you doing that? Why have you got why have you got good knives compared to what my mum's got? And um I was I was really fascinated then. It got to the point when I was sort of eight, nine, and I started cooking myself. I was like, even though it'd be like basic pastas and stuff, I'd cook for my mum coming home from work and be like, Oh mum, I've made this, what do you think? And then it sort of got I sort of got exploring then. Um, we had a family friend who owned a restaurant and I think at the age of 12 I was like I started a few kitchen hand shifts and then uh, it wasn't slave labor or anything like that it was just me me being curious and fascinated by food and um, from that um, I think it was within three months I started working on the larder section of that restaurant which was a vegetarian restaurant so at, at the time was quite unheard of but we had like a real great following and it was really interesting because I knew I made the right decision to wanting to be a chef from an early age and taking inspiration from my grandfather watching him cook and then I I knew as soon as I was in that kitchen I was like um when I first started this kitchen and I was just asking why is that was what's that what's that um why are you doing that why are you doing that and it's like the washing up would be piling up and I was more curious about the cooking and so I think it was probably a good move to get me off the um, kitchen. I wasn't the quickest, but everything was thoroughly clean and stuff and done. But um, I, you know, I was just so inspired by watching the chefs and just having that nosy and curiosity about myself, knowing this is what I want to do. As soon as I finish school, I want to go to culinary college. I want to. I definitely need to be a chef because I can't see my see myself doing anything else really what was the first sort of steps in a commercial kitchen career-wise as a chef like and um you know what were the really important venues and people as you started to build your career so i left when i left school and back in 2005 um, i decided to go to catering college um i went to the birmingham college of food um, which was regarded one of the best within the uk and you know we it was run like a 
a proper restaurant when you worked in the restaurant um learning all the basics from why you cook why you're slicing something a certain way why you're dicing something and why we use this part of the animal this part of the fish this part of the vegetable um and then so from that i got myself a i moved on from where i was working and got myself a job in a local um brasserie and I stayed with my head chef that was there at the time, a guy called Dan Forber. He was um, a massive inspiration to me. And he, I remember he was like, oh, have you got any cookbooks? I've got, oh, yeah, I've got a few. I've got Jamie Oliver this. And then he handed me Les Al cookbook by Anthony Bourdain. And uh, I was fascinated. Like, is this guy, he's kind of a bit of a punk. I see myself as a bit of a punk. And, um, and then it went on from there. And I went with him to different venues every time he sort of, it took me long every time and then I turned, started out as a comedy chef and five years later I was his sous chef and um, it was really inspirational to stay with that one person because we both had a great food ethos and um, you know he had a massive part in moulding my career and from that he was like eventually you're going to need to move on from me because you you want to push yourself more you want to keep keep going and then yeah I did I, um, if it wasn't for him pushing me i'd have probably stayed there forever and worked with him forever but i needed i had the great foundation a great core from my college and from him to move on and do what i really love and really push myself further within my career in the uk they have um master chef the professionals um rather than consumers sort of going head to head um what was that experience like um, MasterChef The Professionals is probably one of the most daunting things um, I've ever done. It was amazing, really opened my eyes and really made me, I think, a better chef because I, I got through to the semi-finals, did very well. But like the one of the first challenges was to do, um, it was a scallop three ways and using a zucchini flower and the first challenge I saw Marcus wearing Monica Glay and Greg Wallace, the three judges, and um, it was I was shaking, and um, it was kind of I mucked up, and I was like, God, I've really got to pull my socks up and push on on my next challenge. Else, I'm going home and having previous head chefs that have been on the show and got to the quarterfinals. I was like, if I go out first round, I'm never going to hear the end of this. Um, so yeah, I mucked up my first skills test, but then went on to do my signatures dish and got through to the quarterfinals, which was great. Um, I think once I got over my nerves on that first round and I just realised this is my job, this is what I do every day. The next dish I was cooking was a dish that I rehearsed, knew knew very well. I did I did quite well, ended up as a semi-finalist, which, you know, I I thought I could get that far, but when you're up against great chefs that are in, and it's kind of weird as a competition, you um, obviously you want to win, but when you're up against people that you've met, you spend a lot of time with, uh, you want them to do well as well. And most of the time when you see the TV, you think, oh, they just go in, they do this, this, that. It is very realistic. It is the time. And um, but a lot of the times, sort of waiting around backstage, you like you're wondering, you're going, "Oh, did I do enough? Did I do this?" And then like the nerves kick in, and then you've got your your other chefs that have now become friends, and I still talk to a lot of them. They're like, "No, you did all right. You did all right. You're fine." And then then it was just yeah, a great experience all in all. And I'd recommend any chef that gets a chance in the UK to do it because 
it opened up a lot of doors for me from that i got to do a lot of food festivals and sharing dishes that i do at restaurants i got from that i got to open up a restaurant for um for somebody and then i um you get you get yourself noticed that's i think that's the main reason you go on it you you know you want to push on with your career you want to work as hard as you can and then it really opened a lot of doors and without doing that I don't think I'd be where I am today and I wouldn't meet wouldn't have met Matt Wiley and work alongside him tell us about your time with Adam Handling yes so working with Adam I was a sous chef um and um worked at a restaurant called the frog so that was his original restaurant and now he's got frog by Adam Handling which was his now become his flagship um Adam was probably a probably the best chef I've worked for um really really inspirational um he's gone on to win a Michelin star and I was so proud to be part of that journey from the start um one thing with Adam he was always willing to push people to their limits but was a great boss as well um you know we got in we worked hard we we'd start at eight in the morning I'd make sure I was there for half seven put the deliveries away check fridges a good usual job as a sous chef making sure everything's ticking over and then the great thing about Adam he wasn't just like I'm writing the menu he'd want everyone to put a dish on the menu and put everything down from junior staff up to senior staff so we'd we'd always push our limits we'd work close to the seasons um we also had our f- um we had a farm as well which was out the city of London it was down in Kent which we went and visited to see what produce is growing when it's growing and then we devised menus like around that and that's when I first got into this like zero waste sort of ethos and working if you it's kind of like if you put something in the bin you're throwing away money and so a lot of our byproducts from the frog we'd go into our cafe that we had which was called bean and wheat so we'd make we'd make salads we'd make we'd make brownies we'd make with whatever offcuts or whatever we thought was going so it was it really got us thinking about what's good for your GP why are we gonna why would we throw something so that's when I first got into like our fermentation works pickling works oh I'm gonna make a vinegar from this so this is when I really got fascinated with making beer vinegar it was probably one of the first vinegars that I made and at the end of the week when the clean lines there'd be beer got poured through then I started making vinegars from that then we'd use that into dishes and it adds like different dimensions. Um, I think like acidity, acidity plays a massive part in food and sometimes gets overlooked. And and then oh, we um, I remember when it was sort of wild garlic season um, in the UK. We get a great abundance of wild garlic. It'll be leaves, um, stems, flowers. And um, we used to process probably about eighty to one hundred kilos of wild garlic at one point. So at one point, we'd <laughs> every chef would be like want to be doing the stems we'd make a pickle we'd pickle the stems or we'd pick um, salt and pickle birds make capers we'd make wild garlic oil and it was it was great getting all the team involved and it's just sort of having that ethos and of zero waste and trying to be better be better and then it really sort of stuck with me and with everything I do now I try and use everything for instance when we have a, we had a dish on with cauliflower at the um at the frog with a pork dish and we use every part of the cauliflower, it, even down to the leaves, even down to the stems. So um, the florets would be made into a roasted caramelized puree. The stem would then be salted and then pickled. The leaves would be deep fried, and sort of 
it made me wonder it's like why do we why do we waste stuff even when we peel carrots the we um fry the carrots um that peelings and that'd be part of one of the snacks that we started which we served like a i think it was a carrot like a roasted carrot and pickled sort of puree on a seaweed cracker then we'd serve it on top of the um the carrot crisps and it's like it really got me thinking that this is what I want to do. I want to be sort of better for the environment, better for myself. And I think it challenges me as a chef to think about not wasting and using everything to the best of its ability. How did you end up in Australia? So um, I've got a young daughter and my uh, fiance, my fiance is from Australia. And when our daughter was born five years ago, we was like, we want, it was kind of, Brexit was just happening in the UK and I was just like, I'm not sure I want to be with that. I I don't think it's going to work. And uh, we decided to move over to Australia. And I think it was probably looking back now, it's probably the best decision I've ever made because I was excited about using new products. I love the lifestyle that we have in Australia. It's something completely different. And as soon as I landed, it it felt like home. It was, um, and yeah, getting to see new products and, being fascinated with Australian cuisine because I think I've kind of had to adapt myself from being like modern British to more of an Australian way of um, thinking. And I think the, the good thing about Australian food, it's it seems like it's a lot cleaner and like less fussy. Whereas in the UK, we could we could go oh, almost add too much. And I think it from my influences of food and stuff, I think it suits me a lot more. And um, the produce you get over here is probably the best I've seen in the world. You're also a keen forager. Do you have any stories of the expeditions you've been on doing that? <laughs> um, quite a funny one. So earlier in my career, we um, used to pick brambles, blackberries, and um, a lot of the time it'd be either by train tracks or it'd be um, by streams. So I was foraging, it was October, and October over here, normally quite warm and pleasant in the UK, in the north of England, not so much. So I was um, foraging these blackberries and brambles, and next thing I know, I slipped, and I've ended up in a icy cold stream, and probably not my best moment, but the good thing is I didn't, I didn't lose any of the blackberries that I foraged. I was soaking, and um, I walked back up to the restaurant, they're like, what's happened to you? And I was like, yeah long story um lost my foot in next thing you know i'm in a in a stream and but luckily um i could swim and um it was it was just a, a wake-up call to get ready for service again is foraging quite different in australia to the uk yeah I, it is it's very different because obviously i found in the uk i knew what i was looking for for instance um I use a weed called pineapple weed. It's got this really great pineapple flavor and you can see it everywhere. And it's about learn for in Australia, it was about learning what's new, what's safe to eat. Um, for instance, on the street, at Reed, we've got, we've got loads of salt bush. We've got lemon myrtle. We've got society garlic. We've got jasmine. And then uh, there's a place that we go foraging where it's got um, passion fruit, marigold. There's a lot of different things. So it was all about learning about these new flavor profiles that, is it safe to eat? Can I use this part of it? And it was, and um, I live up on the central coast, so I'll go onto the beach. We'll get, I can get seaweed. We used to get golden kelp at a restaurant I worked in, and you know, it's about learning these new things, and that's what really excites me about Australia because uh, something will come up, and I'll be like, "What's that?" 
what's that taste like? And being sort of keen um, to try everything, um, it was, yeah, it's really fun to see what Australia has on, um, has available and the larder is fantastic. And then learning how to use these new flavors and like, well, I didn't, I couldn't get this in the UK. How can I incorporate this into a dish? And that's really exciting as well. And it's sort of, it's great to interact when you go to a guest it's like oh yeah we got this and we picked it 10 yards away and or and they're like what really that's what grows there and it's like yeah and and you know it's it's all part of the education for one for myself and two for the guests and i think it really goes a long way tell us a little bit about your food and creativity obviously it's changed since you moved from the uk but also you know with the zero waste approach how does that impact on creativity if anything, I think it makes you more creative because, you know, when you're in a restaurant, you can have oh, you can have the perfect protein or you can have the perfect vegetable, the perfect fruit. you like, it, it becomes easy. You can do this. And then you go, oh, what can I do with carrot offcuts and pumpkin seed that normally gets thrown away or the carrot tops? So we used to have, um, at Ray, we used to have a dish on it was like a, it was a carrot hummus. Um, so I used to use carrot offcuts. So from, we used to, I used to talk, well, still do talk um, closely with Sydney Direct. We go, what waste do you have? So for instance, when people are getting processed carrot, if it's not the perfect dice that they asked for, it, it would normally go into like a compost bin. And I was like, well, can I get the waste carrot? And then I do a hard roast on that. And I was like, oh, what if we did like a carrot top pesto? So a lot of people, when they take the carrot tops off, so I get the green uh, green carrot tops. And then it's like, what if I get a vegan in? I, I'm not going to use sort of pine nut parmesan that route. I was like, well, the, I know when they prep pumpkin, um, there's going to be waste pumpkin seed. So you get the pumpkin seed in and process that and make a pesto from the carrot tops and the pumpkin seed to give that mouth texture and a different flavour profile. And it was, it's really fun when you you get something right and then people work out they're like oh that's all from weights and you're like yeah it's it's what we do and it really gets our story across and it shows that you don't need to have something that needs that's deemed as perfect to make something truly delicious as well is there a dish or two that you could take us through that you have on them at the moment that sort of speaks about the whole ethos that you have yeah of, of course so um Currently, at the moment, we've got um, an asparagus dish on. So we're using like um, all of the asparagus. So from from the asparagus, I've got I, I break it natural break, and then from the the bits that is almost seen as too fibrous or too wiry, I go. Um, I spoke we spoke to Matt, and Matt ended up making a asparagus katsubushi style. So he was he smoked it. He um then it rest like sort of fermented in koji and um hay which and then um gets dehydrated and then it's grated in over a top of a drink or it can be incorporated into a spirit to make it an asparagus katsubushi flavor and then we've got that with like a gochujang glaze so make fermented pepper um with like a sort of sugar vinegar reduction we're constantly making vinegar so you, um we had a tomato pickling liquor which was um part of a drink and we stopped we didn't use that drink anymore so i made a glaze from that with a fermented pepper paste and just with some spiced nuts that we had 
that we're kicking about from a previous menu. And it's sort of working with the, the larder that we've got and incorporating that into dishes. And, you know, that's a really great dish and an example of what we do. And then, for instance, another dish we've got, we've got, because um, my kitchen's so small, I've literally got a hibachi, a, f- a tabletop fryer and a sandwich press. So, um, and it's behind the bar. So when chefs come in, they're like, they see, oh, they're like, oh, that's your kitchen. I was like, there's like, where's the rest of it? I was like, no, that's it. And um, it does re- make it really challenging. Then, so we've got like a yakitori chicken dish. So we're using sustainable chicken thigh. Um, and then we've got it with like a salted yolk mayo, some roasted yeast and uh, some togarashi. So the egg whites are getting used by um by the bartenders to make um one of our drinks this is strawberry fizz using second strawberries um so i was like oh what are you doing with the yolks so, so they was like oh we've got we haven't got use you got use i was like yeah perfect i'll make um a salted egg um salted egg yolk mayo then we've got roasted yeast on there which adds like a real umami flavor so when we were we had a an event that we had to make some donuts for and i got fresh yeast and instead of wasting it roasted the yeast and um created um, let it dry out create a powder and use that as a seasoning as well so it's sort of working closely with the bartenders working closely with Matt working with myself and we when we talk about new menu um, ideas ideas and dishes we all work together and it's it's real great as a team that we're all on the same page and we all want to do the best and even the eggshells can get used as an eggshell soda as well so um, it's, it's not just, we literally process every part of it and it's amazing that you can use the shells of the egg, you can use the, the whites and the yolks and, you know, and then that goes in with the, the zero waste and sustainable um, way of what we do at Re. What are the touch points or, you know, do you have any tips for those that want to sort of um, activate sort of more zero waste approach in their commercial kitchen? Yeah, I was like, I think it would be great if chefs spoke more and be like, oh, we've got access to this, we've got access to that. I don't know if we can set up a platform and do that. But I, th- I think, you know, look look into um, fermentation, look into pickling, look into making vinegars, look into doing that. You know, for instance, you make you can make black garlic, you can you can make a vinegar from asparagus or whatever, whatever you have, or tomatoes, you've got some tomatoes that sort of, they're not at their best now. They're sort of going, look, oh, can I make a tomato vinegar? Can I make a ketchup? Can I do this? I think it's about, you know, really reading into why why do we ferment? Why do we make vinegars? Why do that? It's practices that have been going for years. It's not that it's not like it's a new trend. It's something that you know people have been doing for years. You look at the process of something that's popular like kimchi. It's not just a thing that's happened overnight. It's something that's been going on for years. And look at so, for instance, um, we've I had excess cauliflower leaves before. I made a cauliflower leaf kimchi instead of using a Chinese cabbage. I was like, treat it the same, do that. And it's, I, I think it is about thinking outside the box a bit instead of just going, taking the easy step and going, oh, we can freeze this or do this or we'll just throw that bit out. You know, think a little bit extra, think a little bit outside the box. And it's really fun and challenging and I think it's really rewarding when you're like oh actually this has made a really great product I can incorporate this into a dish or eat this you know do a staff meal then it's really important and for me I would I'd just say yeah think outside the box do 
do you and you know i'm open to answer people's questions if they ever want to think oh, i've got access to this just drop me a message what and i can go this is what i would do you know and i'm more than happy to spread what i've learned over the years and help help make a better environment and a better way of thinking with food well you're doing incredible things there at re what do you love about what you do um the thing i love the most is it's a different challenge each day you know i, I love um working with a team that truly believes in what they're doing i love being able to produce something that people sometimes shocked from having like they're saying oh it's from this it's from this i'm and you know from an early age knowing that i wanted to be a chef and living out my dream and still being a chef after all the years so been working for 22 years now within the industry uh, be it part-time into full-time once i left college i think sticking to what i'm doing and loving every every moment of it and it's something that i always wanted to do and you know for me i think it's going back to the early ages i'm doing my parents my um, grandfather really proud and and i think when they all got to see me do MasterChef the professionals as well on tv they you know it's a it probably probably one of the proudest moments in my career people being able to see what i can do because i've missed i've sacrificed so much over the years missing weddings um missing family arrangements and from always working and then then seeing all everything that i did over the years it really you know it was amazing feeling that they've seen me achieve my goals and keep achieving my goals well josh it's an absolute honor to have you on deep in the weeds today to hear just a part of your story and look forward to seeing what comes from here um please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon cheers thanks huck been a pleasure this is the deep in the weeds podcast i'm anthony huckstep Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>